Hi, I'm Ari Mizell, and this is The Art of Less Doing. I'm going to teach you how to optimize, automate, and outsource everything in your life, including your health, in order to be more effective. I want you to stress less, free up as much time as possible, and do the things you want to do. Hey, and welcome back to the Less Doing Podcast. This is episode 215, and I am your co-host, Ari Mizell. And I'm your other co-host, Nick Sonnenberg. So today, we have an interview with Rodney King of Crazy Monkey Defense. And it was an interesting conversation from an entrepreneurial standpoint and a leadership standpoint, but I, I, well, both of us, Nick and I, are obviously always interested in anything that's efficient. And I, as a practitioner of Krav Maga, which is the Israeli martial art, is an extremely efficient fighting form. It sort of gets to the point very quickly. And that's what Rodney teaches with his self-defense method that he created. So it was a cool conversation. What's the difference between Krav Maga and Crazy Monkey Defense? Is it just a marketing thing? No, Crazy Monkey Defense is definitely much more like street fighting. Like it's all, it's, uh, I mean. Isn't Krav Maga street fighting? Krav Maga, yes, uh, it is. But this is, actually, it's a good point. I mean, it's, it is different. It, it pulls in many different disciplines. Although Krav Maga also pulls in like BJJ, boxing, like a whole bunch of other things too. So they're all different mixes of the same flavors, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but so before we do that, there's a couple links that I want to, we want to share. Uh, the first one, is a Slack integration called Scatterdot. And I thought you'd find this really cool. So Nick and I are always working. I mean, with the work that we do, there's there's not a, like a ton of visual stuff that we need to share with each other and go over, but there's definitely some, especially as we continue to build dashboards for customers, which, which Nick can maybe talk a little bit more about. But Scatterdot basically allows you to share an image in Slack and discuss it, but it's kind of a, a very unique thing that it allows you to do is you can point to things on the image and it will show what you're pointing at as a red dot and multiple people can be pointing at multiple different things. So if you want to say to somebody like, hey, what is this peak right here? Or if you're looking at an architectural plan, you say like, hey, in this room right here, what if we put something in this corner? It's cool, you know? I mean, I'm trying to think of the use case though, because like right now, if we want to do that, we're using Zoom and we're doing a screen share. So I'm trying to think of the case where this would be better than doing a screen share in Zoom. This is asynchronous. You can do it asynchronously. So somebody can point to something and be like, what is this? And then you can see what they were pointing at and then respond. Ah. Yeah. Whereas, so you're right. Like with Zoom, yeah, you could be like, hey, what's this thing here? And you can move your mouse around and circle it. But this is a back and forth discussion. So it replaces more like using like um, like a sketch or one of those tools like where you have sketch, to right? sketch. Yeah, yeah where, where you like circle something, you, you edit an image right. and then you stick it back in the Slack. And so it's this like, is in line in Slack, hmm. and, but it is real time. However, you can do it asynchronously. Mm-hmm. So it's cool. I, I mean, uh, it's, I think it's pretty neat. The next one is called notarize.com. And it's kind of obvious. This lets you notarize stuff, but you can do it virtually. So they passed this law that you could, that electronic notarization is valid in Virginia. And then I guess they were able to use that as precedent to do it across all 50 states. So it is now legal. And it's an interesting process for, for those of you who have ever done a notarization. And I am a notary, by the way, it's, it's, it's very archaic and very annoying. You have to go in front of a notary. They have to see your ID and verify that you are the person signing the document. Then you sign it. They stamp it. So now you can do it digitally. And it's a cool process. I've watched the demo. You pull up the document digitally. You have the webcam so they can see you. They scan your driver's license with the webcam. And then they effectively watch you sign it. 
So hmm. it's great. Yeah. And the thing is, like, until now, you pretty much had to go to your corner store or if you, if you could or a bank or something to get an notarization. It's just it's just an inefficient process for most people. How often were you needing to go to a notary person for you to become a what is it called? A notary. A notary. A notary. Yeah. Oh, for you to get like to be a certified. Oh, well, to, so the reason I did it, first of all, it's a it's is it a, because you were in real estate? And you had yes, to do something exactly. And, it's a three hour class and uh, it was really easy. Uh, and now I can. But you can't notarize your own signature. So I could notarize any document that like my father or my. Uh, okay, my so you're just having your dad sign them and you were notarizing. That's his, yeah, which is le- it's totally legal. Yeah. But um, yeah. <laughs> OK, it's a, it's a very archaic. I mean, I think signatures are archaic, but whatever. We should just be doing thumbprints for everything. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, especially now that like we use HelloSign and then we give the VAs access to our HelloSign through 1Password and they're just signing. And our signatures. And they're, yeah, they're, they're signing for us through HelloSign. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, and speaking of which, so there's a number of services that allow you to sign documents digitally. So there's HelloSign, SignNow, or which is now CudaSign, a couple others. This is an interesting one. So PaperJet allows you to do the same thing. You can bring in a PDF <laughs> or any document and you can sign it. But what PaperJet does that's unique is that you can upload a document and it will create fillable fields in each of the places automatically, which is awesome. So if any of you ever use a sign now thing or anything like that, you have to click on. Uh, So it detects where there's an underline. Yeah. And then you can share that with somebody. So they fill out a form and just go next, next, next. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So this is really neat because previously what you have to do is you have to manually click in the approximate location where you want the text to go and you fill it in. And it's, I mean, honestly, it's better than using paper and you can do it mobile, but this actually makes a fillable form, which well, you can then upload or share. Yeah. And the good thing is it, it guarantees that people don't skip a section, right. right? Because then you can force them, like they can't sign until everything else is filled out. Exactly. Exactly. So it's, it's very, very cool. So if you're doing anything where you're using, even if they're not repetitive forms or things, and we do, every time someone signs up to become a VA with us, they have an NDA that they've signed and W9 and all that th- stuff. And yes, as you're right, as you said, it makes it so that they have to fill out the forms. It's kind of like why we use woofoo forms in some cases. So again, that's, that's paperjet.com. Okay. So this is, this is a, it's like almost like a stupidly obvious name for a startup, I guess, but it's called Skip Lino. And it allows you to skip the line at places. <laughs> Honestly, this is a weird one. I think it's a good idea, but I don't think it, I, I don't quite get the implementation. So basically, what I, I think is that venues or restaurants, whatever, sign up with this, and then you can basically like reserve your spot in line without being there. I mean, is it basically just like uh, <laughs> like an interface to hire a task rabbit to go for you and wait in line somewhere without like, a task rabbit though? Like it's a ghosting. I mean, you're basically saying like this is when I want to arrive, and it gives you a spot. It, it's almost like you you know t- taking the number at the deli. Yeah. Without being there. I kind of like my idea better because here you they have to make they have to do a lot of biz dev and make partnerships with a bunch of places. What about like an app where literally it just requests the task rabbit to go somewhere for you and yeah, it's just like a just one button. Yeah, you just put a location, you click a button and then behind the scenes it's a task rabbit going. I've done that before for Apple on launches or even yeah. oh, before Shout went under, I used to do that because Iputo is like a three hour wait. So I would just have someone go and put my name down for me at Iputo. Yeah. No, so I, I don't I don't see this as like a big opportunity, honestly, for them. I mean, there's, yeah. as you just gave three ways to basically do it without using this app. So yeah, yeah. but of course, nobody likes waiting but, in line. So <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> and uh, what was the name of that again? Skip Lino. Thank and you. the one before that was PaperJet. PaperJet. 
Okay, so now this is a weird one. I'm gonna warn people, this is a weird one. So this looks like one of those devices, it's like a headset and it looks like one of those devices that uh, uses lasers to grow hair. But essentially what this does is it's supposed to increase athletic performance with pulses of energy. So that get you pumped up for a workout? Uh, supposedly, uh, it, yes. And it, it can help with explosiveness, and I mean, this, like they say 1.7 times the gains uh, you can, so there's a, it's not like, uh, what's it, binaural beats, but it's like that on steroids. So for example, they have a strength and explosiveness program, which is supposed to improve your vertical leap, your 40 yard time, your weight training, your swing speed and explosiveness in your workouts. That sounds like a very tall order to me, but effectively what it's, what they're claiming is that they're rewiring your brain a little bit. I, I mean, hey, I, I, I mean, this is the type of shit that I can really uh, <laughs> yeah. blow a lot of money on because the I, value prop is just so strong. <laughs> How much is it? Uh, I don't know. Oh, wait. Buy Halo Sport. Let's see. Um, uh, wait, and then, and then they say it's sold out, which makes me want it even more. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> so I guess we're going to have to sign up for a demo for this. So that's the uh, the Halo Neuro. You got to check that one out. Okay. Okay, so then I got two more. One is an article from Barking Up the Wrong Tree, which I love, and it's all about how to tell if someone is lying. And I just find these articles interesting in general, but there were a couple things I wanted to point out here. So they sum it up. One of the things that they say for determining if someone is lying is that you want to basically get them to give you as much, like just keep them talking, like telling, they should tell you as much as possible. But the way that they sum this up was that, that you're trying to hack cognitive load. So it's like you want to reduce how much thinking you need to do and increase the amount that they need to do. So you want to get them to recall details, you know, and give you more details and like just keep going with it. And I just thought it was kind of interesting, like a, an interesting kind of paradigm, you know, that you can use that. It's like another reason to be efficient with your thinking, you know, and, and why not to multitask and all this stuff. And the other thing, as I said, is watch your emotions. When you're feeling, you're not thinking. So stay objective. And I think that's a very good way to frame it for people, too, is that it's it's kind of a binary mechanism in some ways right like you really you can't have like a good mix of emotion and thinking like you kind of have to focus on one or the other yeah i mean i have no emotions anyways i right, just think so, so it's fine for me did you ever watch the uh, prisoners of war which is the israeli homeland no there's a character in that that's the interrogator and he's like when you're saying that it made me think think of him he was like an expert at it but you interviewed blake eastman before and he's mm -hmm. an expert at lie detection Right. So, and the thing that he said about it in the interview was that he doesn't really like that because you kind of have to be a deceptive person to be a really good lie detector, huh. which is... And he's not deceptive? I guess. I guess <laughs> not. But And it says that here too. It's like you have to like practice it to be good at it. Uh -huh. So anyway, the last one is called Nexar. Now this, I have, I'm actually going to try this for the first time next weekend. It's an app for your iPhone that gives you a dash cam, but it's an artificial intelligence based dash cam so dash cams are not new they're very very popular in a lot in like russia and all these places you know it, it reduces your um, car insurance if you have one doesn't it uh, yes it does and so what this one does is first of all it's on your phone but it auto detects events so if you see like if you suddenly break it will tag that as an event if you have an accident it will tag that of course but it's going to record all those things so it's like you're not just looking at hours of video if you wanted to you could actually go to specific points where like you hard braked oh wow yeah so see like it's really cool, um, and it can also film inside at the same time. So if you're like a Lyft driver or an Uber driver or something, you can get that for safety. I just think it's cool that's app-based. Like it's, it's really smart. It kind of reminds me of my, one of my good friends, Serge, who's a ex-rocket scientist, had the idea 
to um, detect commercials so that when you DVR a show and then there's a commercial, it, it, it can automatically in. it can automatically detect what's a commercial and skip skip all the commercials so you don't have to fast forward. You know they've made that harder and harder now. You know because like the commercials just sort of like meld into the t- into the shows now. But yeah, yeah. But Serge is crazy smart. He can figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, do we have any uh, less doing announcements that we want to share this week? Well, we have a few things in the pipeline, but I think we'll 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 save it for the following so week. Right, so yeah. Okay. All right. Well, everybody, uh, thank you for listening in, and keep an eye out for all of the big changes that are coming up here at Less Doing. See you later, guys. The Less Doing podcast pulls together the top experts in the industry to help you optimize, automate, and outsource everything in your life, so you can start doing the things you really want to do again. What would you do if you could only work an hour a day? Would you crumble? Or would you thrive? When I was sick with Crohn's disease, I was faced with that reality because there were days when I literally couldn't eke out more than an hour of work a day. And I had to figure out ways to not only get everything done, but get more done than I was doing before. And that is how Less Doing was born. Less Doing is about you. It's the easiest way to learn and implement a huge amount of productivity tips into your life in a short amount of time. Whether you're a crazy busy business owner, a tired executive in a large company, or a stressed out soccer mom, we've brought it all together for you to help you overcome the overwhelm in your life. For the latest how-tos and actual tips on becoming more productive, sign up for my newsletter over at lessdoing.com. But I want to offer you all something more. As listeners of this podcast, I want to give you the opportunity to get on the phone with one of my Less Doing certified coaches. I've trained each one of them myself, and they really know what they're doing. The first call is completely free, and you will get some real advice and tips on how you can be more productive in your life and get back to making things easier again. Thanks for listening, and now enjoy the interview. So now I'm speaking with Rodney King, who is the creator of Crazy Monkey Defense, <laughs> which I can't wait to discuss. Well, I know what it is, but I can't wait to tell everyone what it is. And uh, Rodney, um, thank you so much for, for doing the call with me. You're in South Africa right now, right? Yeah, no, absolutely, man. I appreciate you having me on. I'm in Johannesburg, yep, in South Africa, so that's where I'm speaking to you from. Okay, well, uh, so first of all, tell everybody what... Before we get into your background a little bit, why don't you tell everybody what Crazy Monkey Defense is so they're not spending the entire first half of the interview wondering what it is. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, Crazy Monkey Defense is one of the brands that I created. It's a modern martial art lifestyle brand. And the main focus is outside of the normal things that you expect from martial arts, teaching people how to defend themselves and, you know, getting them in shape, is also giving them the tools, the inner game tools, so that they can take on the martial arts of everyday life. Okay. So, and, and, and this, the style that you, you know, is it completely of your creation or did you take from different elements and create this new system from that? Well, look, you know, I have a long background in martial arts, um, you know, starting from when I was a kid. Um, then I created my own program and, and obviously it has elements from different other martial arts systems, but there's some unique aspects to it. And I would say that uh, it mainly came out of my experience working the door as a doorman for several years and just being in those kinds of environments and realizing what the reality of the fight is, so to speak, that really inspired the Crazy Monkey Defense program. So initially it was very much a self-preservation oriented program, but um, over the years, it's as I noted earlier, it's evolved into something a lot more. And uh, yeah, so a combination of different things, but a lot of it from personal experience. 
Okay, so uh, and, and that, so I, I trained in Krav Maga, which I'm sure you're familiar sure. with. Um, and when I watched some of your videos, there were definitely elements that I saw that looked familiar to me, and then there were things that that, that weren't. So yeah, I totally get that. Um, but it does, to me, look like an extremely efficient and effective fighting style slash self-defense style. Yep, absolutely. And I mean, I've taught that program to special force military units, law enforcement um, officers from, you know, all across the globe. Um, so I know that in that sense, you know, it's, it's really sought out by people who actually have to go into a situation where they actually have to go hands-on on a daily basis as part of their career. So their testimony to me matters because, you know, they're actually applying it in their jobs every single day. So that's pretty cool to hear that. Yeah, well, and then the thing about that is, which I'm, I'm curious on your take on this, is that with, with Krav Maga, at least, and, and, and again, from what I, you know, it's conceived from the videos I've seen of your stuff, it, it, these are not, well, <laughs> maybe you can correct me, but they're not really methods for sort of uh, dissuading or, or um, getting somebody just to stop. They're, they're very, they're pretty destructive. You know, it's like the, the person's not going to be bothering you or anybody else again for a while. Well, I mean, if you're talking about my program, I would say, yeah, that's part of it. Um, but there's another yeah. aspect of it where we coach, um, you know, in the sense of being aware of your environment. And actually, one of my main messages is about de-escalation. So we could call that uh, verbal jiu-jitsu. You know, being able yeah. to talk your way out of a situation. The only time you ever want to go hands-on with somebody is when there's absolutely no other choice but to do that. And in that respect, when that time comes, I want to ensure that the people that I've taught are able to do that. Um, you know, because at the end of the day, like it or not, there are bad people out there and there are people that want to hurt you. And I think it's imperative that you know how to defend yourself. But at the same time, we have a very healthy philosophy around how we teach. And so one of the things that I'm big on is ensuring that my students, my clients, don't go through this process and come out paranoid on the other side. And I would argue that a lot of the reality-based self-defense systems I feel tend to breed paranoia and almost make people feel like there really is an attacker on every street corner. When the reality is most people who enter a martial arts school, especially modern martial arts, will likely never, ever be in a position where they have to actually use it in self-preservation. And on that de-escalation, though, not to get too technical here, but one of the things that, I, again, that I noticed that, I, I, that was familiar to me, but I, I also think is one of the the more interesting things that uh, I've seen in fighting styles is that um, in the videos, I'm going to just try to describe this for people who haven't seen this visually, but when somebody approaches you, you put both your hands up, but your hands are open. Mm -hmm. um, and you, you know, it's sort of like, it's almost like you're doing a push up in the air. Like you're just trying to say like, you know, calm down, man, back down. Yep. Um, and, and which is interesting because first of all, you're not making fists. So it's not like you're, you know, you're not ready to fight. You're not trying to scare them because honestly, if somebody makes a fist at you, then you, you, you know, if you know what you're doing, you know that you're going to get into a fight. Um, so, uh, but you also have them in a place where you can very easily attack and defend. Exactly. So you, you've kind of summed it up. I call it the bear position, right? So if you kind of imagine that, uh, that those images from a national geographic kind of program where, you know, the bear is walking around the forest and then another bear enters his domain. One of the things that a bear will do is kind of, you know, rear up, try and make himself look as big as he possibly can to kind of scare off the other bear. And one of the things that bear is trying to do is not actually get into a physical fight because he knows that even if he won, he's likely going to get hurt. So in that sense, putting up your hands and creating a barrier between yourself and the person in front of you, first of all, like you noted, the hands are open. You close your hands, that's the universal sign for fight, right? 
I mean, that's basically you've kind of you you've lost all opportunity to de-escalate by keeping your hands open. Right. It's it's you know although you're putting that that. Uh, that those hands between yourself and the opponent, they have to cross that barrier now. They have to get past your hands in order to get you. But you also don't look hyper aggressive. And so that, that moment there gives you an opportunity to talk verbal jujitsu if you need to and talk your way out of the situation because nobody wants to get into a fight, right? <laughs> this is the reality of the thing. I, I think a lot of times, especially if you go onto YouTube and you see what's been presented there for self preservation, it, it's kind of kill or be killed kind of mentality. And I think that, you know, if you speak to anybody who's been in the fray, the reality of, uh, you know, fights, you don't want to get into a fight because like I said, just like the bear, now, even if I get into a fight, even if I win, there's a strong likelihood that I'm going to get injured too. So if I, if there's an opportunity to talk my way out of this, that's what I want to do. And one of the ways of doing that is creating this barrier between yourself and the person in front of you who's been aggressive. Now, of course, as you noted, should that person encroach on me and, you know, come in really fast, my hands are up at least to stop them or put myself in a position that I can mount some, some kind of counter offense. And even in that respect, even if I had to strike back, the minute I feel that I've got the edge is the minute I want to exit the scene. Now, that's also um, not typically how it's taught in reality-based self-defense. They, they kind of like keep going and keep going, you know, kind of smash the guy into oblivion, literally like pounding the guy's head into the pavement. And I think... That in itself kind of speaks to this hyper-aggressive kind of approach to quote-unquote self-defense. And I think that's dangerous, not even if we start talking about the legal ramifications. Because if you have people around and witness that, even if you were in, you were in the position and you were justified to initiate some kind of self-preservation movement, there's a point where you need to know where to stop. When you've won the fight, you've won the fight. That's the time for you to get out of there. If you go beyond that and there are witnesses to see that, no judge is going to listen to you then. And it's going to be even worse for you if you if it comes out that you actually train martial arts as well. Because one of the things of being a martial artist is learning restraint, is knowing when to stop. Yeah. So so that's okay, so and that's really interesting to me too, because from my training, from with Krav Maga training, you, you really you're it, that's not a big part of it. Like you're, like I said, you're really trying to make sure that this person's not going to be bothering you or anybody else for a long time. It is very, very aggressive putting them into the ground. So I liked, and I saw that again in your videos too, where, you know, there was seven or eight hits or something just to get the person to stop for a second. And then you were moving on. Um, and, and I think this is a good transition to uh, sort of business and how you teach in leadership and everything like that, because, Knowing when to stop is, I think, really important in negotiations, in uh, team management, all that stuff. And so, uh, unless I'm getting too abstract, but do you see that sort of as a thing that you carry over to other parts of your life? Oh, absolutely. I think it's essential. I mean, somebody asked me the other day, you know, what is the, the one thing that really made a difference in your life? And I would argue that the, the inner game tools that I learned through martial arts training is the one thing that really helped me achieve success in my life. And that's one of the major things that I teach. Even my approach to how I teach people is very different to how typically it's taught. I want people not to be aggressive. I want people to be, you know, have a, a Zen mind, a warrior body in the midst of the chaos. Um, and the reason why I'm saying that is, is that this idea of going in with killer instinct, you know, being in the red, that is not a good place to be because that's often where you're unable to make appropriate decisions and choices. And I would argue that that's where people tend to get themselves into trouble, both in martial arts as well as in the business world. 
where they make decisions based on high energy emotions. And so a lot of times that's done without any clarity. And so one of the things that I want people to be able to do both on the mat and off the mat is, can you be in this environment where it is potentially aggressive and you do feel all these internal stirrings, you know, the adrenaline, the butterflies and so forth, but still be able to do what you need to do without being becoming aggressive. And I think this idea of being in a mindful place you know, just being able to be with what arises and still achieve an outcome is nothing new in the martial arts world. It may be foreign now, but if you go back and you look at the samurai, they were very much in touch with this idea, you know, of not being emotional because that gets you into trouble. And I'm sure you probably heard of this book, The Book of Five Rings by Yamamoto Musashi. That is a yes. widely read book, both in the business world, of course, and in martial arts. Now, the interesting thing there about Musashi is that he understood this better than anybody. And one of the things that he would often do is he would rock up late for a fight. And he knew that by the time he rocked up late an hour later, the person that he was going up against would be so enraged, so pissed off that they would fly off the handle and come at him with anger and aggression and he would just be able to literally sidestep and cut them down with one blow. So this was his strategy often. And so we could reverse that idea and put it into a business environment. And we can say that if even though you're feeling all these internal stirrings and typically maybe you would kind of buy into it and express it in a negative way, what happens if you're able to just accept what happens inside, be mindful and be present in that moment and not judge how you're feeling and still move towards you know, the goal that you've set yourself or the discussion that you've set yourself? I think the outcome will be very, very different. Right, right. Um, and, and so now let's get now I'd like to get into a little bit of your background because at this point I, I, I have to because right? you, you had a you had a very rough upbringing I did not just in terms of not just in terms of fighting yeah well yeah I was I was brought up uh, in the south of Johannesburg um, it's a relatively poor area in government housing which is very similar to the projects in the United States so I grew up poor and, you know, in any of those kind of socioeconomic environments, you can imagine there were gangs and bullies and all those kinds of things. So when I wasn't dodging the neighborhood gangs, I was trying to avoid the bullies at school. I also grew up without a, without a father. So I never had a male figure in my life. And my mother was an alcoholic, abusive alcoholic. So, you know, she, she didn't have any issue hitting the bottle or hitting me. You know, it was either one or the other. And uh, in, in, in fact, you know, I was kicked out of the house at the age of 17. So I never finished high school. And I found myself sleeping on the same park bench in the same park that I played in as a child. The, the park that I went to actually to escape all the bullies is where I landed up, you know, when I was 17. So, yeah, I had a pretty rough upbringing and a rough life. And it did seem there for a while that uh, it was going to be a situation where, you know, I would derail my life and just become a statistic because that's often what happens, you know, with kids coming out of those kinds of environments. Well, and, and so what was the, the turnaround for you? You know, what, what got you on the right path? Well, I think it was two things. I think one of the things that I'm thankful for is that I've always been pretty self-aware as a person. And so I've always been aware of how I'm thinking and I'm feeling. And one of the things that was a realization for me, and I remember this vividly that same night, because I had read, read a book by Viktor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning. And he had talked about that the last of human freedoms is your ability to choose your own attitude in any given situation. 
So that night I made a choice. I said, well, I'm in a really bad spot and I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. But one thing that I'm going to do is I'm going to choose my path. I'm going to choose my attitude. And that's kind of, that kind of stuck with me. And that kind of resilience was important moving forward. But again, you know, I was training martial arts. I was training boxing. It was a passion. And I think that the discipline that it taught me and also the other side of it, of course, is, you know, when you're, when you're training in martial arts or you're training in boxing, you have to develop these internal character traits like fortitude and resilience and your ability to keep going even when you're failing, which is really what resilience is. And so that really helped me. Had I not had that in my life, I think it might have turned out very differently. Yeah. And, and I mean, I, I, I would, I would guess so. Um, and so when did you, you transition this from, from, you know, being a martial artist and, and to, to basically teaching leadership? Well, yeah, that's kind of an interesting story. So, you know, I said, I never finished high school, but you know, one of the things that I did was, you know, I put myself back into school. Um, and I'm actually now in my, probably my final year of my PhD. So I've got about one year left roughly to finish my doctorate and then I'll be completed in, in, you know, I guess the highest, you know, the highest level you can go to in school, right? Um, and so what started happening about several years ago was that I was talking a lot about these internal lessons because in reflection, when I was thinking back, I was, I was thinking, well, you know, these were the things that really helped me achieve success and enabled me to come through a very dark period in my life. It wasn't so much the fighting skills, but it was rather those internal skills that stood out. And I realized that if it worked so well for me, it probably will work well for other people. And what would happen if I started teaching people this outside of just the typical thing of teaching people how to fight? And so it caught on. And a lot of people noted because, you know, as you know, you've trained before you have a vast spectrum of people on the floor and a lot of those people on the floor, floor were entrepreneurs or CEOs of companies that were coming to train with me. They were there initially, I guess, just for the martial experience, but then realized there was a lot more to this. And those discussions led to me getting involved in leadership. And it was actually, that was the catalyst for me deciding, you know what, I might have never finished high school, but I think it's time now to do something about that and go back to school. And that was kind of the, the, the kind of the stepping stone on getting back into my schooling and, and being where I am now. Yeah, and it's great. And congratulations to you, by the way, because you've obviously created something really special. So uh, the, the last question that I always like to ask on these interviews uh, is, what are your top three pieces of advice for people to be more effective? And uh, you can interpret that however you like. Okay. So top three things. I think, you know, I've kind of hinted on it. I think the one thing that's, that I feel that's very important is that people get obsessed with their story. You know, whatever's happening in their life, they create a story around it. And in my experience is the, it's your story that holds you back. And fear is only really as powerful as your story. And so one of the things that you can do, and the one thing I realize in my life is that you can change your story. Stories are never fixed. That's the beautiful thing about a story, right? You can write a story any way you want, and the ending can always be different. And so that's, that's, that's the one piece of advice. The second part of that would be that the way to be able to kind of unhinge yourself from your story is to learn to be more mindful, to practice mindfulness. And I would say that that has been a huge catalyst in my life. I started practicing seriously several years ago, my meditation training and, and specifically mindfulness. And where I've, I guess where I'm different to the, my contemporaries in the world where, where, where that people teach mindfulness is that I actually learned to be mindful on the mat when somebody was trying to punch me in the face. 
which I think is a, <laughs> is a much, much more powerful place to learn mindfulness. And if you can be mindful there, you can be mindful anywhere. And I'll tell you that most of my clients will tell, will agree with me when they hear that. They'll say, that's exactly it. Cause they tell me that all the time. They say, well, if I can be mindful on the mat here when somebody's trying to punch me in the face, nothing seems that bad outside of this, you know, outside of this environment. And I well, think, you, you, know, you know what they say, that right? Yeah, everybody, everybody, yeah. And, and everybody so, has a good plan until they get punched in the exactly, face. Exactly, exactly. So that's the thing. So I'm teaching them what to do when people do punch them in the face, right? And so that's being mindful in that moment <laughs> in time enables you to actually at least see through your plan. And then my last piece of advice, which is hinged to that, I would say that just because you feel or think a certain way doesn't define the outcome. And that might be hard for some people to understand because – a lot of people will say, well, if I'm feeling afraid, then that's very difficult for me to achieve any kind of success. Well, you know, the thing is, is that there are no negative emotions. All emotions have a, a place and a role. It, it really what it comes down to comes back to my first piece of advice is that what kind of story are you creating around the situation that you're in? And you'll find that it's not actually fear that's holding you back. It's the story. And if you can circumvent that story, what you'll find is that you are able to move in the direction you need to move in, even though you might not be feeling, you know, 100% confident and you feel this kind of this buzz inside and the adrenaline and the butterflies and so forth. That doesn't matter if you can unhinge yourself from your story. You will be able to achieve success. Well, those are, those are absolutely excellent. So, so where can people find out more about you and your programs and what you do? Well, two places to go to is uh, coachrodneyking.com, which is my personal site. I talk a lot about there. I've got videos on there where I talk about this whole idea of martial arts and everyday life and how you can apply that over to your, your life and your, your, your role, you know, whatever that may be in your career. And then the other place is fullcontactliving.org, where I have a free online video course that some, you know, if people who listen to this, they can take that. It's complimentary. It's also the place to find my book. I wrote a book about this where I talked about what did I actually learn as a martial artist and how can you actually apply those lessons to your life? So it's not a book for martial artists, I think anybody can read it. And I found that the people that have loved the book the most tend to be entrepreneurs. Awesome. Well, Roddy, hey, thank you so much for your time and thank you for what you do. And uh, we'll, we'll take care. All right. Awesome, man. Thanks for having me. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Less Doing podcast. If you want to find out more information of the show, we would love to hear from you. You can go to lessdoing.com where you can look at Ari's blog, see the show notes for this episode, and also look at all the other episodes before this. If you want to send us a voicemail, we'd love to hear from you and we'll play it on the show. You go to lessdoing.com, click on contact, and look on the right side of the page where you'll see a, a send voicemail button. Click on that and go ahead and record an audio message for us. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter. Ari's Twitter handle is at Ari Mizell, and mine is at Felix Bird. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. See you next time.